episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Oh, welcome, everybody, again to uh, another episode of our show with another really fascinating guest for you today, uh, helping to create a, a better tomorrow on many different fronts. Uh, today, we have the honor of being joined by Howard Leonhardt, uh, who is the founder of Leonhardt Ventures, which is uh, the world's first innovation accelerator that is focused on the convergence of bioelectric uh, and biologic technologies for a range of uh, opportunities, both organ regeneration and healing. Uh, Howard is a, a longtime accomplished inventor and serial entrepreneur, uh, dozens of U.S. patents, over 100 patent claims for his various products and treating cardiovascular disease. He has dozens of new patent claims pending. Uh, his talent, or Tahiri Leonhardt stent graft, which was uh, developed in the early 1990s, still holds a leading world market share uh, for repairing uh, aortic aneurysms without surgery. And his inventions to date uh, have been involved in treating over half a million patients around the world, 60 different countries. Uh, when he's not focused on all that, uh, Howard is also the co-leader of Startup California and founder and chairman of the California Stock Exchange, uh, which is preparing to be the first social good impact stock exchange currently operating the CalEx 30 Social Good Impact Fund. Uh, he founded CalEx Crowdfund Connect, uh, crowdfunding campaign management company, and CalEx Stars Business Accelerator, a business incubator and accelerator focused on cardiovascular life sciences uh, and social good impact innovations. Uh, in his current portfolio, he has <clears throat> over 30 med tech and regenerative uh, medicine startups. Uh, his network's put together over $150 million to date, uh, including uh, technologies, including first implantable, programmable, and refillable stem cell pump, uh, multiple uh, different tools for uh, brain, eye, and aortic regeneration, and another of other uh, organ regeneration spinoffs. Uh, Howard also serves as the state spokesperson in California for the JOBS Act, uh, and crowdfunding for Startup California has given uh, dozens of speeches on this subject, uh, and he's operated uh, Leonhardt Launchpads, North Cal, at the University of North Cal uh, California Science and Technology Innovation Center uh, since 2008, recently opened uh, Leonhardt's Launchpad Utah in Salt Lake City, uh, just near the University of Utah. And he has served on the board of directors uh, of the University of Northern California uh, since 1999. Um, Howard Leonhardt, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Well, you did a good job with the complex uh, introduction. Uh, th thank you very much. <laughs> Most definitely, Howard. You know, I, I, we were chatting beforehand. You know, you and I have known each other for uh, a couple decades now. But you know, I'd love to start things off like we typically do. Obviously, you've had a, a fascinating career to date. Um, if, if you could take a short, a short journey, sort of from the beginning. Uh, you know, sort of go a little bit into sort of where you grew up, uh, how you got interested initially in sort of the area of medical devices, and 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 sort of the beginning of this. Path, and we'll get into regenerative medicine and bioelectronics a little later on, but talk a little bit about the beginning, if you would. Thank, thanks, Ira, and thanks, everybody, for listening today. Uh, for, for myself, I, I graduated from a small tech college in Minneapolis called the NOCO Technical College with a diploma in international trade, uh, unusual pathway into medical device engineering. Uh, I started off helping manufacturers of cardiovascular devices to build their export markets. And my routine would be I would drop off the samples of the 
newly developed products by these small companies. And then I would circle back. Uh, this would be uh, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, South Korea, uh, Taiwan, places like that. And I would uh, come back a month or two or three months later and, uh, and make my route of all the uh, investigational centers that I was working with. And I would get their feedback. And after a while, I would uh, bridge between the doctors and the engineers. And I'd get back to the small company factory and I'd say, if we want to sell more of these, you got to fix this and fix that and got to make this better. And the doctors would really like to see this built into the next design. And after a while of uh, bridging that gap between the physicians and the engineers, I started to kind of have my own ideas about how to improve the product. And that started off with our very first product, the Polycath cardiovascular balloon catheter. There's a little bit more to the story. Before we started manufacturing and developing, <clears throat> we started the private label where we had one of those small manufacturers make the product under our name. So it mm -hmm. said manufactured for World Medical Corporation. And uh, everybody thought we were the manufacturer because the print of manufactured for instead of manufactured by was very small. And then I started to feel like a manufacturer because they all the physicians treated us as if we were making the product. And in a sense, we were because we were hiring somebody to make it for us. But uh, uh, our supplier was bought out by B. Braun of Germany, and it was called Nova Medical Specialties in New Jersey. And uh, the turning moment for my entire career was, was the moment when I called B. Braun, who now bought this small company, and we had already, we were one of the biggest customers for Nova Medical Specialties, uh, buying more than 20,000 cardiovascular balloon catheters a year, and they only sold about 100,000, so we were about 20% of their business. And uh, the new buyers were giving us a lot of trouble and uh, they basically were saying, well, we're going to stop your private label contract. You got to now take the B. Braun package. And we were, no, we don't want to do that. And we, were, we told them we were right in the middle of working with the engineers of Nova Medical Specialties to change the balloon from latex to polyurethane because, uh, because uh, many patients were allergic to latex. They said they didn't want to do that. And we had some other changes that we, the doctors really had been asking for. And they, again, said, we don't want to do that. <laughs> and uh, it was a frustrating call. And basically, I, I hung up with a little bit of temper and said, how hard can it be to make them? Let's make the damn catheters ourselves. So I, I got a teacher, and he, he uh, taught me how to make uh, balloon catheters, and I entered manufacturing of uh, cardiovascular balloon catheters. We did all the tests to get through the FDA, and, and uh, that was the, the beginning of, of that journey. And uh, the, the part of the story that maybe gets more interesting is uh, along the way, we decided, well, we're not making a lot of profit on these cardiovascular balloon catheters. We got to find a way to leverage our core competency to have a higher margin product. And that's when we developed the Talent Stent Graft, the Harry Leonhardt Stent Graft for repairing aortic aneurysms. At the same time, we developed the first percutaneous heart valve. And we took both of them out to surgeons to say, hey, we want to repair aneurysms and we want to repair heart valves without surgery with this catheter that's snaked up from your groin. And releases the valve or releases the stent graft, the same ones that you guys are sewing in place after you crack open the chest and break open the ribs and clamp the, the arteries to be able to hand sew these products, we're gonna hold them in place with a strong nitinol spring. Well, every doctor we showed it to said it was a terrible idea. They even became angry with us because we we're gonna take away their job of doing surgeries for this. And uh, we had a large investor at the time, Nippon Zian Company of Japan. And after I presented to the top, Japanese surgeon these ideas and he absolutely ripped them apart and said you know they're never going to fly it's you're going to cause uh, defacing of the company because you're going to have 
uh, uh, disaster in the marketplace. And uh, uh, Marty Matsua, Dr. Marty Matsua puts his arm around me on the way out. And he said, you know, we told you to focus on cardiovascular balloon catheters. Uh, uh, we invested because we were making a really good cardiovascular balloon catheter. You have a de defect rate of 0.002%, and we want to get it down to 0.001%. So focus on that. And uh, we actually set aside those two projects because we thought, uh, maybe we had a good idea, but it looks like it was a terrible idea. Uh, race forward, uh, last year, it was announced that more heart valves were placed with catheter-based procedures than surgery. Race forward and more uh, aneurysms are repaired with catheter-based uh, procedures led by our device, but we lost three years. So we threw all those ideas away in 1991 and then in 1994, we saw some others come in with the same ideas, and we had to jump back in three years later and catch up now to two other companies that actually were ahead of us. So there was a lesson to be learned there is the so-called experts are not necessarily going to embrace something that is going to change the way they do things. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we now try to, uh, when we take a new product out, if we get negative response, we're kind of thinking, oh, we probably got something here. <laughs> Excellent. And, you know, obviously, you know, you had a, a lot of this um, success with the catheter, uh, learning the, uh, the cardiovascular space. Um, you moved then, you know, obviously about 20 years ago, stem cells started getting hot uh, as, as an area. Um, you, you get involved in, in that area, and then um, you learn as you're going along in the stem cell space, it's had its ups and downs over the last, say, 20 years, but that um, stem cells are extremely important and they do a lot of exciting things. But uh, you began to learn that there were other important components of uh, sort of regeneration, which is a very complex biologic process, um, enter the uh, domain of uh, bioelectronics or bioelectricity or electrophysiology, what, you know, there are a lot of different terms here, uh, different concepts that go back about 100 years, but which are sort of starting to uh, peak up now uh, in the 21st century. Uh, a couple of months ago, we had uh, Mike Levin on from up at Tufts, who's very excited about the space. He works more in the area of, you know, how you can develop drugs to modulate ion currents and so forth. Talk a little bit about uh, your history in the stem cell space, and then what got you interested in looking at some of, some of these adjuvant technologies like bioelectricity as a component of sort of the big picture of regeneration. I'm going to have to look up your episode with Michael Levin. I know uh, Michael, uh, we've hired him as a consultant in the past, and Great guy. Uh, we greatly admire the work. In fact, we have to admit, we learn a lot from the work that he has uh, pioneered. He, he got the grant from uh, Paul Allen, yeah. and uh, uh, he really uh, teaches all of us about mechanisms of, of action. And when I went to visit us, I asked them, is it, is it our bioelectric signaling that's communicating with the DNA to build a protein, or is it communicating with the cell membrane to open and close uh, pores? And he flippantly answered yes. And it was an either-or <laughs> question. Yep. And then he went on to explain that, that it depends on the situation. It's a, it's a little bit of both. And I... Uh, Greatly admire his work, and I'm going to look at your uh, look up your podcast with him. I didn't see it yet. Uh, for, for us, it's this dual path of biologics, which starts with stem cells, as you mentioned, and bioelectrics. Mm -hmm. uh, collaborating with Dr. Ray Scow and Dr. George McGovern in Pittsburgh, we uh, uh, they participated. They did it, but we joined with them after they did it. Uh, they injected muscle stem cells for the first time 
to repair an infarcted heart in large animals. Uh, I did the work in 1988. It was published in The Physiologist in 1989. Uh, shortly after the publication came out, we met each other, and I signed both of them up to our team. So, so uh, uh, from that point forward, uh, we, we have been uh, working together. In fact, George McGovern Sr. has passed away, but George McGovern Jr., his mm -hmm. son, is now head of uh, cardiac surgery at Allegheny Medical Center, and he is uh, consulting with us. Uh, but uh, – that was uh, 1980 and 1989, and for me, the whole journey began. I was flying to Brazil to do some heart valve cases with LabCorp Laboratories in Belo Horizonte, Brazil. That was just prior to the percutaneous heart valve. We were actually placing them surgically in those days, and uh, two things happened on that trip. One is that uh, on the way there, I was reading Scientific American, and they talked about uh, fetal endothelial cells having a 1,000 times higher proliferative rate than adult stem cells, and, and that the future of medicine perhaps was going to be regenerating arteries. And uh, that kind of uh, lit me up. I just thought that you know the body's made of cells and the way that your heart valves, your arteries, your heart, and any organ is originally made with the convergence of bioelectrics and biologics, stem cells, yep. proteins, uh, and it just made sense to me to try to rebuild them more close to the way that they're built in the, in the first place than to do what we had been doing. I, I was on my way flying to Brazil, and we were going to implant a, a piece of cow tissue that we cut to form into a heart valve. And that's very artificial. That's not uh, part of your body. And, and uh, uh, interesting enough, on that trip, uh, I went to go see the heart valve put in by Dr. Domingos Marais, uh, the first surgeon in Brazil who had ever done a bypass surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, even in 1988, he was already uh, getting up there in age because he did his first bypass surgery, I think it's 1965, uh, around the time when uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the US uh, got started on that as well, uh, 66, 67, sometime around then. But uh, the interesting part of the story was uh, I. They, I go to Belo Horizonte, they give me the valve, and they say, go to Rio de Janeiro uh, and, and bring this to uh, Dr. Moreas. He's going to do a surgery, and it'll give you a chance to see a surgery because I actually hadn't seen one before, even though I was selling these heart valves and I was the export representative of LabCorp Laboratories. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I bring the valve, I give it to him, he puts it on the shelf, he cuts open the patient, uh, breaks open the ribs. The first thing I thought was unusual is they go over to an ice bin like you have in the uh, hotels, and they scoop up a bunch of crushed ice and they pour it into the chest. And I thought, yeah. wow, that doesn't seem that sophisticated. But he explained <laughs> that they're trying to slow down the flow. And, and then uh, he goes in there and he's moving his uh, hands around. And, and all of a sudden, uh, he starts to close up the chest. And the heart valve is still sitting on the shelf. And I uh, went there to go see the heart valve put in. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this surgeon is so old that he forgot to put the heart valve in. <laughs> and so I was gonna tap him on the shoulder and say, oh, excuse me, you, you forgot something. It's like, it's still there on the shelf. You didn't put it in, but I didn't do that, of course, out of respect. So I waited and waited and then we go wash our hands. And I said, hey, uh, Dr. Marais, you, uh, you didn't put the heart valve in. And he says back to me, um, how are you gonna learn something today? And I said, what's that? And he said, heart valves, like all organs, are a lot like uh, your wife. Uh, you're a lot better off keeping the one you have if you can. <laughs> and uh, he went on to explain that a lot of times he would get in and he would see just a little bit of calcification 
and he would scrape it off with a needle scalpel or not a needle, a, a scalpel blade. Mm-hmm. And if he could clean it up and he saw that the heart valve closed, uh, he, he would rather preserve the person's own heart valve instead of putting in a pig or cow or steel. Uh, sure. All of those have problems, especially in those days, yep. or plastic valves that were coming out at the times. And he said, all of those artificial things are never going to work as well as your natural body organ that you were built with. And if you can preserve that, that is a lot better way to go than to put in any of these things that we're doing. Uh, uh, despite the fact that LabCorp wants to sell some heart valves, uh, he's not going to do it to get their sales up. He's going to do what's best for the patient. Well, I learned something from him, and he kind of set my, the course of my work for the rest of my life that, in very simple terms, the rest of my life after that is trying to be dedicated to help people keep their own organs and regenerate them instead of getting an implant, despite the fact that you know most of our wealth in the past has come from developing and making implants. Uh, I really get away from that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, when, when you look into uh, your portfolio currently, um, many exciting projects uh, in cardiovascular, brain, you have some cancer work going on, then a lot of, you know, as we talked before about sort of the cosmetic side of things. Uh, this is just for how does it typically work? I know you'll work with a lot of uh, universities also. You have, you have research UCLA, University of Utah, University of Minnesota, many other groups, Texas Heart Institute, uh, you know, the cream of the crop here. How, how, does, how does your incubator system work if, you know, I'm researcher X that's coming along and have a good idea? What happens in the process? How do I become part of uh, Lee and Hart uh, All-Stars or, or the, uh, <laughs> the team and, and, and get involved in the projects? Thanks. Thanks for asking that. Uh, uh, in a simple term, Leonhardt's Launchpads, which has merged with Calix Stars Business Accelerator, Leonhardt's Launchpads founded in 2008, as you mentioned, Calix Stars Business Accelerator in 2013, and in 2015, I think we merged them, and we just call it Leonhardt's Launchpads now. And the concept was to focus on a convergence of bioelectrics and biologics, and uh, really, uh, in very simple terms, it's one stimulator that we have made for us by Mettler Electronics and Anaheim. It has a 510K market clearance for improving circulation and basically muscle healing as well as pain relief. So if any application that we apply it to falls within those categories, it actually is FDA cleared to be sold. Mm -hmm. But we try to broaden indications of use. So we have a heart, uh, we have a a core IP. It started with uh, stem cell homing. So if we bioelectrically stimulate your knee, we can get your stem cells to migrate from your bone marrow to your knee. If we stimulate your heart, we can get them to migrate from your bone marrow to the heart. If we stimulate your brain after a stroke, we can get your own stem cells to migrate to your brain after a stroke. So that, that was kind of our crown jewel. First major patent is bioelectric stimulation expression of SDF1 and PDGF, which are known to be stem cell homing factors. Okay. Then we added a whole suite of muscle regeneration protein expressions, folistatin, clotho, IGF-1, limb muscle. Mm-hmm. Then we added a full suite of angiogenic or arteriogenesis. Uh, in 1999, we published a paper in circulation on bioelectric stimulation for growing new blood vessels mm-hmm. via the controlled expression of VEGF. Uh, we were so excited about the paper. We had really good results. Later, we learned that were, there were flaws in, in that uh, uh, design because... VEGF created vessels were leaky and they didn't last over time. They mm. would kind of retreat and they would leak. So later we learned that you had to get the right sequence. You had to do VEGF followed by SDF1, PDGF, perhaps uh, uh, HIF1 alpha, 
nitric oxide synthase to dilate the vessel. And if you did all these things in the right order, you would get true arteriogenesis, blood vessels that had a true endothelium lining that lasted over time. So we call that our arteriogenesis suite. And I mm. left a couple of the proteins out, out, out of that uh, description. And then we uh, later developed, which was bigger challenge, the nerve regeneration suite, yep. which is highlighted with sonic hedgehog, again, IGF-1, uh, limb muscle again. And we have a couple of others that are in the works that we haven't perfected yet, so I'm not gonna mention, but we're sure. about, about to, uh, we think, uh, add to our nerve regeneration. So then uh, uh, we had uh, spent 20 years and over $100 million learning how to regenerate the heart. In 2008, BioHeart went public, $76 million IPO on NASDAQ. I had resigned as CEO about uh, March of 2007. We went public February of 2008. The only U.S. biotech IPO in the whole year of 2008, by the way. And we had brought in Bill, Bill Pinion from J&J. He just looked better for Wall Street. I'm kind of rough around the edges, and I'm a technology guy, and I don't really enjoy the whole Wall Street thing. Uh, we thought he would be a better spokesperson for the company with that financial community, and he was. And uh, uh, But by that time, basically, as it often happens, the VCs, the money funds, uh, yep. had basically taken c voting control of the company. Yep. And typical of form, me being the technology guy and they being the business people, uh, uh, I resonate with the Steve Jobs story, even though I don't necessarily <laughs> compare myself to him. Uh, <laughs> We had a clash about the future. Sure. I wanted to bring bioelectric stimulation. I wanted a, a pump that we would refill with stem cells and not only stem cells alone, but I wanted to mix the stem cells with an egg yolk-like mixture, gelatin with a bunch of nutrients. What they were doing uh, was running a catheter up and injecting just muscle stem cells in scar tissue of the heart one time. We had done studies showing if you came back and injected a second time and third time, which we published in the European Heart Journal, you would get more muscle formed in the scar tissue. We also published studies at Cleveland Clinic and University of Florida that if you added certain proteins like SDF1 or Connexin 43 or ENOS, uh, and particularly if you put them into a hydrogel, you would get better results than just naked stem cells alone because a lot of the stem cells died. And, and then... Uh, we discovered that you know, it would be better to have a pump under the skin that you could refill once a month or once a day than it would be to go to the cath lab uh, every month for 36 months in a row to, to make a new delivery of stem cells. Mm -hmm. So uh, basically, there was a big argument at the board level. I wanted to go that way. In fact, I, I was arguing that before the IPO, and they basically put a muffle on me, said, on the IPO roadshow, don't mention a thing about the bioelectric stimulation work, don't mention a thing about hydrogel, don't mention a thing about the, the, the uh, uh, pump, and uh, just focus on what we have now, what's in clinical trials now, one-time injection of stem cells, and say, you know, this is the greatest, let's go forward. And it was mm -hmm. very good, and they had very good results. So, you know, not to disparage those guys, uh, in that clinical study that they were behind, uh, uh, double-blinded, randomized, placebo-controlled, the treated patients improved 91.7 meters in six-minute walk, and the placebo patients declined minus four meters. 84% uh, uh, of the treated patients improved. Uh, only about 16% of the procedure patients improved in whatever category you looked at, heart failure class or exercise capacity. Uh, so, you know, they had reason to get behind their plan. It was pretty good. But I just was focused as a technology guy and making it better. And again, short up the story, which is hard to do, but uh, uh, we basically, that next year after the IPO, we had a divorce of sorts. And they owed me uh, 
in my calculation, $4.7 million. I had borrowed the company money uh, that I had made from my Stentcraft uh, uh, success before. Uh, they didn't pay me wages. They didn't. Uh, we had a, a scientific advisory board meeting at the Hotel Coronado with 33 physicians, and I paid for all their tickets, all their hotels, and all their meals on my own Amex. They didn't pay me back my Amex bill. So I said, you can keep all of that money. I'll, I'll relieve you of the debt, but I want to take the bioelectric and the hydrogel and the pump IP that we started to develop with me. And I not only want to apply it to the heart, but I want to look at maybe the same idea would work for other organs. And that was the birth of Lean Hearts Launchpads and our Innovation Accelerator. So uh, to shorten it up again, uh, we tried to fix everything with non-invasive bioelectric stimulation first. And only if that doesn't work, do we look at uh, injecting biologics and stem cells? We just finished a 105-patient erectile dysfunction study. We applied our signals for stem cell homing, for arteriogenesis, for muscle regeneration and nerve regeneration non-invasively. 90% of the 105 patients uh, were satisfied with their results six months after stimulation. And we only stimulated a few minutes twice a week for four weeks, a month out, three months out, six months out. They still had uh, the function of that, of that organ to a satisfactory level without having to use Viagra or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So that typifies our approach that, uh, so that means we failed 10% of the time. For those 10% where we failed, we think those are candidates to go into the more sophisticated treatment that will be a combination of bioelectrics and biologics. So we're actually gonna bring those patients back that we failed, we're gonna give them another treatment, but this time we're gonna add the injection of stem cells, exosomes, amniotic fluid, kind of a, a mix of of regenerative proteins and stem cells, which has been studied in animals by us with uh, Dr. Nestor Gonzalez Cadivit at, at UCLA, at least part of that has. Uh, sorry for that long explanation, but uh, the other way to say it is every application we have in the accelerator is the same stimulator. It often is the same programs. Almost everyone has stem cell homing. Almost everyone has uh, arteriogenesis. And we just call it something different when we point it to a different organ. Liver cells for liver regeneration, pancreas cells for pancreas regeneration. So it seems from the outside like we're trying to do too many things for a small organization, but really it's just one thing and we just point it to different organs and we call it something different when we point it to that different organ. Mm -hmm. no, it's a, look, I, I'm, you know, I've hung out in a similar domain for a, a several years now and it's very elegant. I mean, as you were going through with some of these organs, uh, these, uh, different biofactors and growth factors and so forth that need to be sort of in this sequence of events, I think you point to a very important thing that I think we've lost a little bit of most definitely in sort of the pharma side of things where we think everything's a silver bullet nowadays. But you know, when it comes to these areas like complex regeneration, this isn't a, sing a single magic bullet. You gotta really think through as you guys have, you know, what, what cells go where, what factors, what timing of these factors uh, and so forth. Um, it, it's, it's quite elegant. And, and, um, you know, as I said, you have, uh, you know, quite a bit of projects here. Um, you mentioned a bunch of them. I, if, if I could just ask you for uh, a couple of minutes, can, can you talk uh, a few minutes about the stem cell bra? Because, I mean, I, this is an area that I just happen to know from, from previous careers. It, it was a multi-billion dollar space. And I was just wondering, you know, how, what, how's everything going along there? Because it's, it's, just, it's so lucrative. Yeah, yeah thanks. It, it, it always kind of gets some kind of reaction from, from sure. people. Uh, the... the uh, uh, we, we, stem cell bra is designed to be a bioelectric bra that homes your own stem cells 
and, and increases circulation in the breast tissue. Mm -hmm. uh, we've completed 16 large animals over a three-year time period. We did histopathology on these animals. We were really scared that if we brought this in human clinical trials, we, we wouldn't want to do any harm. Uh, we wouldn't want to cause abnormal growth or cancer. So we were very careful. And the histopathology came out very good. No teratomas, no unusual growth. Uh, uh, those 16 animals had an increase of their breast volume about 20 to 30% with uh, stimulating one hour a day, uh, one hour every other day for four weeks. Mm. Uh, we then moved to a safety uh, study in humans where we turned down to only a half hour once a week uh, for four weeks. Uh, we didn't want to go for the gusto and we just wanted to make sure everything was safe. We got through that safety trial and we had no uh, uh, adverse events. We also didn't get any breast growth. So we're kind of thinking that a half hour once a week instead of one hour every other day was going to get some kind of increase of breast size. It, it didn't turn out, but we were mm -hmm. glad that we took the safe approach and, and documented a safety study that was below the threshold of, of eff efficacy. Sure. And now we're getting ready with a few more animal studies done just to double check safety. And we've added uh, this uh, clotho signal. So we had to go back and repeat some of the okay. studies. And we're getting ready to do our first uh, efficacy study. Uh, a center in Spain has signed up to do that study, and and uh, we'll we'll report the results to everybody uh, soon. Uh, another nice. part of Cell Bra is augmenting fat graft transplantation. Okay. We met with Dr. Uh, uh, Joel. Um, oh, his last name slipped in my mind right now, but uh, he was the doctor that did. Uh, uh, Suzanne Summers, who was one of, had breast cancer, she had a okay. fat graft and stem cells to recover her lost uh, breast after after cancer, and uh, uh, he wants to use the bioelectric stimulation to augment that procedure. Mm. And a study just was published in Denmark that showed augmenting fat grafting with stem cell transplantation uh, has less uh, relapse, meaning um, a problem with these patients that get fat grafts is. Uh, uh, one breast will be about 20 to 30 percent smaller than the other because the fat kind of shrinks after they put it in. It's kind of a crude way of saying it, but that's basically what happens. And so everybody in the field is trying to strive to reduce relapse or reduce loss of tissue mm -hmm. after the fat grafting. And uh, Dr. Joel Aronovitz of Cedars-Sinai okay. and UCLA, uh, he wants to use this as a combination with fat grafting, but he only wants to do that after we finish a few more studies that, that we're doing uh, uh, that I mentioned earlier, and then uh, we're going to apply to the FDA and the IRB to get, get started at Cedars-Sinai. Excellent. Excellent. So we don't have that grand story that uh, we have a bra that increased breast size 30% yet, but it, it may be a story that we can share with you a, a year or two from now. But we're proceeding very cautiously because we know Certainly. That, that this is a very uh, could be a very serious safety issue if it was done wrong. Certainly. Certainly. Um. How do, you know, I'd love to, to transition now to you know your your uh, long history as as an investor uh, in the space. Um, you know, you mentioned some of um, you know with your IPO with BioHeart and so forth in the past. And you know, I've I've been around the, the farm industry about thirty years myself. Now um, have 
raised money sort of the old-fashioned way in the past, which was sort of this typical path of angel, your venture capitalists, your, your crossover investors, and then on to the public. Um, it's a much different world nowadays in 2021. We have uh, these gigantic angel rounds from venture capital groups, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, we have crypto over here. We have the crowdfunding. Um, Give us your lay of the land in terms of sort of where we are in 2021 with bioventure funding in general, uh, sort of some of the pitfalls, some of the areas that you think are exciting for young companies to look at. Uh, walk us through a little bit on in your experience here. It's a big, big question. And uh, uh, and I'm still learning as we, we go along. Uh, uh, we primarily uh, have used uh, angel funding and family funds. We have had uh, corporate investing mm -hmm. with BioHeart. Guiden invested four times. Uh, Boston Scientific invested. Uh, Abbott uh, made a $900,000 license with us, which was like an investment. J&J uh, &J agreed to uh, underwrite 20% of the cost of our clinical trial if we made it mandatory to use their color mapping system in the study, which we did. Uh, so we, we, we have a combination of those three things. Uh, we don't seem to fit the VC model. Part of it is that the... Leonhardt's Launchpad's business model is that Leonhardt Ventures maintains 50.1% control of each invention mm -hmm. up to exit. We do uh, waive that in a few occasions. We waive that with Second Heart and a few right. others. The 38 innovation assets or startups in the accelerator right now, 34, uh, we have 50.1% uh, control and we've given up control on 4%, which we don't like. Uh, the... the uh, uh, the only thing I found that really works for a starting entrepreneur is to build a very strong advisory board, to reach out to the opinion leaders in the field, bring in advisors that are opinion leaders, and basically ask each member that somehow engages your dream and your vision to try to find three people in their life network. It could be their brother, their cousin, their neighbor, their college friends. Uh, but usually every person that has had good relationships with people over the years has at least three people that will take a risk on something that they recommend. And we also make sure to tell everybody that what we're doing is very risky. It's maybe slightly better than going to Las Vegas and putting it on the roulette wheel, but we, we don't want anyone to take their nest egg or anyone to ever sure. think that just because we're excited about the early results in a pilot study that this means some kind of guarantee for investment success. This is truly gambling and it, it appeals to some people and it fits into some people's portfolio and for others it's just absolutely the wrong thing to do because uh, we're trying to do things that no one has ever done no one has ever successfully regenerated a heart no one has ever successfully regenerated pancreas and it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done because it's hard to do but but it means that that it's very likely that we may fail the last uh, six drugs with over 300 million dollars spent for treating class 3 heart failure particularly diuretic resistant patients that are retaining fluid and can't get rid of their excess fluids, they have failed despite mm -hmm. $300 billion being spent. So these things were, and then we come along with our modest $3 million budget and we think we're going to do better than five companies that have failed with 300 billion. But yes, we do think that, but it is a little bit crazy to think that. And, and we're taking in the misfits and the other people that, you know, kind of have this crazy dream that this might be possible. Uh, now, the rewards can be great if, if, if it works out, but uh, the only other thing I'd like to say that, that it would, you know, it's a long subject that could uh, take many angles, 
But uh, one of the reasons we have the Innovation Accelerator, a portfolio of innovations, if I've learned anything about investing in this sector over the years, is you have to have a portfolio. Sure. There's no one so good that you can pick one stock and be absolutely right on that one stock or be absolutely right 100% of the time. When we started the Leonhardt Launchpads uh, in 2008, we were inside the University of Northern California Science, Technology, Innovation Center, UNC Stick. Well, I was uh, uh, a director of UNC Stick, and at the same time, Leonhardt Launchpads, and and uh, we we would bring in some technologies from the outside. And UNC Stick, led by the late Dr. Y. King Liu, uh, we brought in Safian Asian Tishigen. And uh, we evaluated a whole bunch and we decided, uh, you know, by the way, uh, I joined that board in 2000 and every year I'd come to the board meeting and I said, we need an incubator. At, at that time, the word accelerator wasn't involved. And sure. They would say, no, no, no. And then finally in 2007, uh, Dr. Liu uh, said, let's give it a try. So they gave me a $400,000 budget. Uh, uh, so I, I used like 100,000 to buy some equipment to set up a laboratory and then I invested 100,000 of their money in three different uh, uh, companies, ASEAN, Tishigen, and uh, uh, Safian. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, and then we assigned PhD students from the school to work on the projects, our professors helped. Uh, it was, and the only reason I got the board to accept it is they said, as long as you guarantee that one of our PhD students will be assigned to the project. So when people came into the incubator, I said, you have to accept that one of our PhD students is gonna be assigned to your project. Uh, they'll sign a thing that says the IP belongs to you. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 I thought Tishigen, which had electroacupuncture for knee pain was gonna be the success. The other company, ASEAN, they took the catheter that, that we had developed for injecting stem cells in the heart, the myocath catheter, mm -hmm. and they asked if they could use that for injecting bone cement in spines. And I said, sure. We had never thought of injecting bone cement with that catheter. We designed it for stem cells for the heart. So sure. they took that and they developed a company around that. And then uh, Safian had the idea of injecting superglue in legs, uh, primarily of ladies, to treat uh, varicose veins. And basically mm -hmm. to have the blue vein appearance go away from the and go deeper so that their legs don't have those ugly blue veins. And I thought that that had no chance of success, but we took it in because Don, the, the, the founder, uh, Don Crawford, I think his name was, uh, 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 the, uh, I know his name was, uh, his, uh, he uh, was just such a nice guy with such passion. But when we had the first meeting internally, I was how are we going to build a business? There's no IP. You don't own Superglue. It's a straight catheter, and they're using their thumb to smash it down. Why would any company buy that? Because it's 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 eminent. It's the domain of everybody. You don't own such. So we tried to build some IP. We reduced the heat and the toxicity of the cyanoracolite. We developed some fancy tip catheters, and we built an IP story, and that sold for 238 million to Medtronic in uh, in uh, 2014. The 100000 that I put in from the fund uh, returned $6.3 back to the University Foundation. Tissuegen, the one that I thought was going to be successful, still hasn't made a return. Uh, Dr. Liu decided to study it in his own clinic at the university. And when we went to go present the data, everybody said, this is your company, your invention, and your clinic did the study. We don't believe the data. Go do the study at an independent clinic. So that was a that was a learning lesson there. Don't ever do a study of your own product in your own clinic because no one 
wants to believe the results, even though Dr. Liu was like, why go somewhere else? I have a clinic here. It was a <laughs> bad idea. Uh, uh, ASEAN sold the Merit Medical, and I can't tell you what it was because it's an undisclosed amount. But I can tell you that the UNC Foundation ended up putting $1.1 million in. Uh, more than uh, seven years later, upon the sale to Merit Medical, we got a $1.1 million check back. And we were kind of astounded. And we learned from that lesson that when you sign with VC financing, mm -hmm. there's liquidation preference, there's warrants. Oh, and yeah. somehow the guys who came in in the last three years before the sale took the entire prize of, of the sale and all the original investors and the founders and the people that did the work scrapped by with barely getting back what they had put into it. Yep. And that kind of uh, made me think twice when I opened up the new class about whether we would take VC financing. And by the way, Safian was primarily angel investor financed. There were some VCs that came in, but they were on better terms. Mm -hmm. And there, 100,000 became 6.3 million. You know, so there's an example where I'm supposed to be an expert. I thought Tishigen was where I was going to put all my money. That ended up not providing any return at all. The one that I thought as an expert had no chance of success ended up being the success. So all I can say is no matter how smart you think you are, you're better off having a portfolio because it's so hard to be so good. To It's like baseball. Uh, it's hard. To, the best of the best are lucky if they hit that ball uh, one out of four times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't the truth? <laughs> no, I, I appreciate uh, you going into the, uh, uh, the uniqueness of this space in terms of, uh, uh, of, of the investor dynamics. And, uh, you know, as much as you focus on science, what you have to deal with in, in, <laughs> in keeping these projects moving forward. And as you, know, as you have a portfolio of 30 things, it's, uh, I take my hat off to you that you, you, you balance all this. Uh, real, very impressive. Um, and any other, uh, obviously nothing confidential, but any other big news coming up, uh, talks, uh, conferences you're going to be at, uh, anything that... I just want to say a few things about, about cancer. Sure, um, sure. Uh, we, were, we, we were trying to stay absolutely focused on the convergence of bioelectrics and biologics for organ regeneration. Yeah. But while we were trying to grow blood vessels, we found some signals that actually caused blood vessels to retreat away from the organ. Yeah. And that was looked to be a failure for organ regeneration, but we thought, oh, maybe it would be nice to get blood vessels to retreat away from tumors. So that started us filing our first bioelectric cancer uh, patents. Uh, and then we were uh, basically trying to proliferate uh, stem cells and we found some signals that actually caused apoptosis that, that stopped them from dividing. Dr. Genovese called me one day and I said, well, how did those signals work? And he said, oh, terrible. Complete failure. We, the cells were multiplying. We put those signals in the dish, and the cells stopped multiplying immediately. And uh, he said, "We failed." And I said, "Well, listen to that. There might be some applications where you would want cells to stop proliferating. Let's let's maybe file uh, this signal for cancer treatment, and let's start doing some studies." So we've done some animal studies at UCLA that that did not uh, work. We we did not cure cancer in mice in our first try. But now we have nine issued patents for cancer treatment, for bioelectric cancer treatment, including customized reading of a tumor and then uh, bioelectrically signaling the tumor to uh, change its surface proteins to elicit mm -hmm. immune response and its surface charge to starve it of blood supply and to uh, also basically reprogram it to, to stop dividing or cause uh, apoptosis. And uh, 
we're about to go into another round of animal studies, but what we, uh, we really do believe that despite the fact that our first mouse study didn't succeed, that we are on to something. And while we were doing this, two other companies, Novacure and Pulse Biosciences, and a third one called Automedical, they've focused just on this and they've gone a little bit further than us. And Novacure from a business point of view was only worth 24 million five years ago. And the last I look, I think they're trading at 14 billion and they're using bioelectric treatment or electromagnetic treatment to treat glioblastoma, one of the most aggressive forms of brain cancer. And they've had uh, success, not perfect success, so <laughs> but better success than chemo and radiation. And all of us, and my, my mom passed away of cancer and everyone that's listening knows somebody. Yep. And that chemo and that radiation really ravishes these people when they're already weak and sick. And if we can possibly make a contribution to be just as effective without those side effects of chemo and radiation, that alone will be a big contribution. So uh, um, I'm really excited about the possibility that in the future and, and with Novacure and Pulse Biosciences, both having clinical successes and commercial successes. Yep. Uh, when we first brought the idea of bioelectric treating cancer, just like when we first brought the stent graft idea, everybody thought it was crazy. Everybody thought if it's so good, why isn't everybody else doing it? Uh, everybody thought it was you know, out in left field or in outer space. And now that it's been proven in, in, in three different studies, uh, you know, we're looking less crazy. And uh, I really believe that it's gonna be a big part of our legacy as an organization that we are gonna make a contribution to, to cancer treatment. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, I just a, a side note I usually bring up on, on regeneration shows, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a paradox, but we don't normally think about the fact that the most cancer resistant organisms on this planet are the regenerators. And so there are some very interesting secrets, whether it's amphibians or jellyfish or starfish. Uh, there's a reason why they are so good at taking cancer and turning it around into normal tissue. So I think you're definitely on the right path there as well. Um, Howard, it's, it, it's really uh, it's fascinating listening to you. And as I'm saying, you know, uh, 30 plus projects in the portfolio. I, I take my hat off to you. I wish you the best with all of this. Obviously in biotech, some win, some don't, but you clearly, uh, based on your portfolio concepts, uh, you, you're on the right path here. And it's just, you know, really uh, rooting for you. Um, for everybody that's uh, gonna be listening to this show on our podcast or watching uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, you've been listening to Howard Leonhardt, founder of Leonhardt Ventures, uh, working at the convergence and intersection of bioelectrics and biologics for complex organ generation, healing, uh, cancer reversion, ultimately. Um, Howard, it's, it's always great seeing you. I want to thank you for taking the time uh, out of your schedule to talk to us for a little while. Uh, thank you for everything you have going on there. And as we say on our show, uh, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow through all these technologies. It's a really very fascinating topic. Thanks, Ira. And I, I did, you did touch on the social good impact portfolio. I just want to make one mention of that. that sure, uh, sure. Take it away. Basically, uh, the family foundation, Leonhardt Family Foundation that uh, makes some money from this biotech uh, stuff. We, uh, we made a commitment to reinvest a, a substantial part of that into social good impact. And, and uh, I got to be part of the Conscious Capitalism Society and have dinner with John Mackey, one of the co-founders, the founder mm -hmm. of Whole Foods. And he probably, you know, basically pulled me into this idea that, 
you know, we had when we had some successes in the past, we did our philanthropy. We gave uh, almost a million dollars to the University of Florida. We gave money to Florida International University. Uh, we gave money to the Ohio Cell Therapy Foundation. But uh, he convinced me, that, and the society really has this charter of it's better to help people to learn to fish than just to give them a fish. And the yep. idea that invest in social good impact companies that can be sustainable, can keep doing good. So, so that's always going to exist. Uh, we did have that mixed into the Calix Stars Business Accelerator, but after a while, the board said it was too confusing. So we separated the portfolio of social good impact to, to Cal Impact, social good impact accelerator. And Leonhard Schlansbad is focused on just the convergence of bioelectrics and biologics. And that way, investors don't get confused about uh, the two things being mixed. Yeah. And the, the simple story is we're going to take some of, uh, we're hoping to sell some of our assets. We've actually begun selling some of our biotech assets, and we're going to plow some of that back into the social good, which includes uh, a platform, as you mentioned, for helping people that are having difficulty in raising capital to have a, a more efficient pathway to, to do so. Outstanding. Outstanding. Really, really great story, Howard. Thanks so much for telling about it. Thanks, Ivan. Good, great to see you again. Good seeing you.